Popping Collars Podcast presents T-Shirts and You, Partners in Freedom. Hi, I'm Ricardo Avila. You may remember me from such podcasts as Popping Collars and Popping Collars. Hi, Ricardo. Oh, hi, Liz. It's Betsy. Um, I want to show everyone how much I love Popping Collars by wearing your logo on a personal item of clothing. I'm curious, how do Popping Collars t-shirts get from your website to my door? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Slow down, Betsy. You've just asked a mouthful. Well, it all starts here at poppingcollarspodcast.com. We let the folks at Red Bubble cook up some amazing concoctions with our podcast logo, including stickers, hats, coffee mugs, and yes, even t-shirts. And when the teas are just right, they get spit out from the internet into the real world. Ricardo, I have a friend who says there are no more t-shirts. Is he right? No, Betsy. Your incredibly wrong friend is just ignorant and has never heard of new merchandise. We have t-shirts perpetually being made in multiple colors and multiple styles or multiple fashion tastes. Shouldn't I just buy a book instead? Don't kid yourself, Betsy. If books ever got the chance, they'd take money off you and everyone you care about, and you would never get a t-shirt. Wow, thanks, Ricardo. I'll definitely get a t-shirt instead. Good choice, Betsy, good choice. Get your t-shirt at poppingcollarspodcast.com. Just click the link at the top of the page that says Popping Collars Merch and More and follow the prompts. You'll soon be the envy of all your friends. Pop, pop. The preceding ad is a work of fiction directly stolen from the television show The Simpsons. Popping Collars t-shirts will not make you the envy of all your friends. Books are not out to get you or your family. Greg adds these things because he thinks it's funny and doesn't consider the impact these statements have on people's livelihoods. Popping Collars is a silly little podcast that you should not take seriously, except when you should. Previously on Popping Collars. Welcome back to Take Two. I'm your host, Greg Knight. We're digging back in the Popping Collars archives to provide some updates on past conversations. I'm going to set you up. It was our 49th episode of the podcast. The date was September 29th, 2016, and the subject was nostalgia. Betsy, Liz, and I welcomed our good friend Edwin Johnson onto the show to talk about this now prevalent topic in pop culture. Nowadays, you can't seem to get away from nostalgia, whether it's Barbie or the Super Mario Brothers and movie theaters, Star Wars and Star Trek rolling out long retired actors on streaming services, or even the Geico caveman coming back during this year's Super Bowl commercials. Nostalgia is in full effect in our pop culture landscape, and it doesn't appear to be going anywhere anytime soon. So here we go. Uh, we're going to listen back to this old pod and through the power of editing be able to insert updates and contextual sound clips. So jump in the Wayback Machine with me as we get a second take on episode 49 entitled In Remembrance of Me. (laughs) 
previously on Popping Collars. What about you, John? What what uh, made you think I can do this? If everybody uh, else is doing this, I can do this. <laughs> well, actually, actually, it was you. <laughs> yes. 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 If Greg, if Greg can do it, I I can do it. Yeah, right. Now, well, well, you know, what? I have a t- John, John. I have a T-shirt. That says, uh, I agree with that. Is it a Philippians 413 t-shirt? I think it is. If Greg can do it, I can do it. Popping Collars, the podcast that lives at the intersection between religion and pop culture. I am your host. My name is Greg Knight. I am in Palm Beach, Florida. With me are my co-hosts, Betsy Gonzalez from Alexandria, Virginia. Hello, Betsy. Hey, Greg. And Liz Easton from Omaha, Nebraska. Welcome back, Liz. Thank you. It's so good to be back. Liz who? What? (laughs) Who's that? (laughs) And... Our special guest from Boston, Massachusetts. It's uh, Edwin Johnson. Thanks for coming on, Edwin. Oh, my pleasure. Excited to bring the heat from Boston. Yeah. This is episode 49 of the something ranked podcast. I don't know. In the iTunes spirituality category. And our topic today is pop culture nostalgia. Okay, guys. So here are some actual shows that are premiering this year on television. Lethal Weapon. A MacGyver reboot, The Exorcist, a Westworld reboot, and that's just television. There are a lot of pop culture franchises right now looking to cash in on your nostalgia for a certain time or feeling or emotion or whatever. So um, I'm curious, Betsy, uh, what's something that's pushed your memory buttons lately in the popular culture? Uh, we talked a little bit earlier about the nostalgia factor in Stranger Stranger Things, and that oh yeah, that little Netflix series just it hits all of the '80s movie tropes, like down to the the music and the opener, the visuals, the the kid factor with like little kids solving crime, like Goonies, and then you've got like the dark teen factor, like Heather's. Little John then, Carpenter then, monster movie thrown in there. Yeah, yeah, the monster movie factor. It's just, and all the little things that are perfect about it, like the commercials that they show are perfect. The ones that they pull back. Just this is 1983. Wow, the Stranger Things love. It's hard to believe that this show is almost 10 years old. I think it definitely has more retro vibes than a lot of the shows that I listed in the intro to the show, which those felt more like standard television procedurals wrapped in intellectual property. The Exorcist was a TV show. I totally forgot about that. Uh, what about you, Liz? What's uh, what's something, what's a reboot or a reimagining that's hit you uh, in the warm fuzzies? Well, gosh, I don't know if it'd be warm fuzzies. I totally agree with Betsy that Stranger Things was awesome. And that was a great kind of different take on nostalgia because it wasn't a reboot, which is happening so much right now. But I was totally sucked into the People versus O.J. Simpson. Um, I know. And I thought it was just a great show. It was really, really well done. But what was interesting to me is that almost all of the dialogue came directly, especially once they got into the courtroom, almost all of the dialogue was directly um, just court reporting. So it was a dramatization of 
things that everybody watched in real time. And there was very little um, editorializing. So if you were watching it, you knew exactly what was going to happen. And if you were a real like crime buff, you really knew what was about to happen. But it just took off. And I think it's just kind of an, an odd concept to basically not create any original dialogue for half of the series. Tell people a story that they already know really well and just see what happens. It was great. But can I say a word about MacGyver really quickly? Oh, yeah. sure. Okay. I didn't really know this was happening until you and I talked on the phone the other day. <laughs> but I just want to shout out that MacGyver was like my legit first crush. Really? Yeah, like not even first like, but first like, I don't know why I feel this way. Like that kind of crush. Like I had a real crush on MacGyver. Was it the mullet? Was it the... He was a little rugged. Like he, I think he was a little rugged, and I like that. Still do. And he was super nice. He was always, like, helping people. Particle. <laughs> and he could, like, fix things with duct tape, which is a very appealing quality to me to this day. Whenever I see a car phone, I can't help wondering whether the person who owns it is important or wants everyone else to think he's important. Simmons obviously fell into the latter category. With the proper connections, it's possible that a cellular phone can reach out and touch the security system of the car's onboard computer. I was hoping to take control of Linda's very expensive new toy by simply getting the phone to talk to the computer knowing that computers always do as they're told. Except at my bank, of course. That, that may be a little too warm. For was, that, yeah. was that too much information? <laughs> You're taking the warm fuzzy thing a little far. Ah, I'm just being real. I know you guys missed me. You missed that about me. I know what about what about you, Edwin? What, what's, uh, what's something uh, old that's new again for you? Well, you know, it's funny. I'm, I'm glad that Liz mentioned MacGyver because I was a huge MacGyver fan. And my wife, uh, much like Liz, uh, my wife, Susan, she was also super duper into MacGyver. Yeah, Susan. Uh, is, she always, she always what is she says, going on? Well, pretty cool. But, you know, if the original MacGyver ever comes out, like, you know, she's dropping me like it's hot. <laughs> um, so, so it's hilarious. So the craziest thing is that you know, yesterday, last night, I performed our evening service. And then after putting our son down, we actually watched the new MacGyver episode. Uh, and we were both super excited about it. And while a part of me is sort of glad that Lucas Till, the, you know, the new MacGyver actor doesn't quite do it for my wife the way the old guy does, <laughs> uh, you know, less competition, I guess. Uh, you know, it's interesting. We actually had really different reactions to it. You know, for her, you know, she, she liked the fact that you know, it had really poor special effects and that it was really slow and, you know, kind of wasn't into the fact that everything seemed so modern in this new one. Um, and so for her, she actually was really disappointed uh, in the way that the show came out. Whereas for me, you know, I, I thought it was dope that they're putting a new spin on things. And and uh, yeah, and I mean, I enjoyed it. You know, in general, I mean, for me as a big fan of music, I mean, I'm used to remixes. You know, I'm mm. used to hearing things that, mm. you know, were played 20, 30 years ago, maybe before I was born, and, and then hearing them again in a new way. So for me, you know, I, I guess I'm used to that feeling of, 
you know, something both catching my nostalgia and then also, you know, giving me something a little new and different. And, you know, sometimes I actually like the remix better. My thing is actually not a television show or a movie, and it's not even out yet, actually. It's uh, Nintendo is putting out the classic NES system from, like, the late 80s. And it's like this cartridges one, like, yeah, the old cartridge one, the old, you know, Super Mario Brothers, Mm -hmm. Tech Mobile, all of that. That was the only one we ever had. That was it. They're re-releasing one that's it's 50 bucks and it comes preloaded with like 40 games on it. Oh, my God. I forgot I talked about this. I still have the NES Classic. I also have an SNES Classic. SNES Classic? Uh, kids, don't do this because you're going to violate your warranty. I actually ended up hacking the hardware and uploading like a hundred games onto my systems. If I could have told my 10 year old self that he would have all of the Nintendo games, I think he would wonder what we had done with our lives. It's funny, all that stuff, like just looking at the names of the games... I could remember like what my fingers were supposed to do <laughs> in order to like get there. Like I had like muscle memory, like in my hands, like just looking <laughs> like, at like the different guitar. games on display. It was, it's amazing. Like how ingrained some of this stuff is in you. Like you can just, you can just sort of play it in your head. It just seems like there's this huge influx of this stuff. And maybe there's always been like reboots and stuff like that. I guess that there have been, but it really feels like things like Jurassic world I mean, we already talked about Star Wars on the show and like how it sort of followed beat for beat what it was that we really loved about the first, you know, a trilogy of Star Wars movies. Like, is there something about nostalgia that's problematic somehow? You know, I mean, it, it just feels like it's a it's a good way to sort of get stuck in thinking, oh man, things used to be so great. This summer when when Pokemon Go came out, right? So I didn't grow up playing Pokemon and so didn't really have a strong nostalgia factor to that. Actually, just the other day, my daughter has said, can you get me Yu-Gi-Oh cards? I want to get Yu-Gi-Oh. And I'm like, this is all things I don't don't understand. (laughs) But but if you all remember when Pokemon Go came out and everybody's like all over it, right? And the comments on Facebook were... Um, don't let Pokemon Go distract you from what's really going on in the world. You know, you're all walking around with your faces in your phone. There are, it's whatever's going on. There are black men dying. There are, there are people being shot in discotheques. This nostalgia is blinding you in comfort to what is actually going on. Don't tap out. And I completely understand wanted to just crawl into the pillow fort of nostalgia and just be like, that's it. I'm out, you know, and I can't, I can't stay in. I'm, 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 I'm burned out. I'm tired. How do I continue to be emotional and empathetic and, and be tapped in all the time? It's become too much. Well, and I wonder what it is about our, it's our generation that people that now they're marketing nostalgia toward like it's, it's kind of like exactly our ages. And it, that could be, I guess, because we're demographically the big um, profit generators, you know, for entertainment and are getting to a plate of all, place of also being content creators across the board, directors and producers and writers and whatever. What's interesting to me is like the, 
the pop culture of the 90s wasn't very good. So what? what? Well, okay, I'm sorry. I mean, some of it was. Friends? (laughs) Friends was great. You are? (laughs) (laughs) Fuller House is a particularly weird one to me. Like, Full House was a terrible TV show. Its only value is that we grew up watching it. And John Stamos. Well, absolutely. Uncle Jesse. Sorry, I'm sorry. Sorry, I'm lost in a MacGyver-like. Hasn't aged today. Dorian Gray. It's another mullet, Liz. It's another mullet. Maybe it's the mullet. Do you think? (laughs) Sorry, back to your point. Okay, I'm coming back. But um, I wonder sort of, you know, why? Why us? Why that generation? And I also wonder what happens to um, when so much of our pop culture is consumed by nostalgia, which it really does feel like unprecedented. It's an awful lot. What then happens to creativity, to innovation, telling new stories, um, interpreting our times right now? And maybe the interpretation is simply we're freaked out right now and we're longing for a simpler time. I followed a truck today on my way home from work that had a Ronald Reagan 1984 bumper sticker, like a new one in the back window of their truck. And I was like... Okay, that's kind of what we're talking about. It's funny. Like, it's this idea of I can't handle something about the world today. So I'm going to wrap myself in what I think I remember I really liked. I think nostalgia can be bad. I think it can be something that puts us in a place where we're not moving. And I also think that, you know, skillful artists and writers and preachers are actually really good at at using our nostalgia as as a hook to bring us to a new place. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think of so many times where we're sort of given images um, or sequences that we're used to that remind us of something else. And then when it's spun a different way, then all of a sudden we're, we're actually able to inhabit the moment better um, because it's paired with something that that makes us comfortable. So, I mean, I think that if it's used right, it can actually be a really neat thing. I mean, back to sort of thing in popular culture, you know, for me, the Creed movie was, mm. was sort of an interesting example of that in that you have something that, you know, captures a lot of the same things that, you know, the original Rocky movie did. Um, mm. But, you know, all of a sudden it's a brother and, you know, it, it had a different flavor because of that. And, you know, that same belovedness was now sort of surrounding him. I mean, that's just an example where I feel like, you know, so many nostalgic diehards would be drawn in and, and all of a sudden they find themselves wrapped up in a really different character. Creed is fantastic. And in honor of the recently dearly departed Carl Weathers, it is such a testament to how storytelling can find unique branches to fuller flesh out worlds that are familiar. Who knew that what the stale Rocky series needed most was to shift the focus to the lineage of his rival slash friend, Apollo. Just a brilliant idea from Ryan Coogler and Michael B. Jordan. I'm stopping this one now. Don't, okay, let me finish. I gotta prove it. Prove what? I'm not a mistake. Look at me. I never got a chance to thank Apollo for helping me out after Mickey died. But it's nothing compared to what you've done. You taught me how to fight again. And I'm going to go home and I'm going to fight this thing. But if I fight, I want you to fight too. I want you to go across this ring and knock that son of a bitch down. Can you do it? Say it. 
I'm going to knock that son of a bitch down. I know you are. You know why? Because you're a creed, and I love you, kid. Go on. Go get him, Dad. Round 12 begins. Virtually no one outside... You know, as long as you give people enough, or at least a taste of what they had before, that you can actually move with them. Edwin, what you said... Um, just now made me think of liturgy as a whole. Like one of the things that people love about our Episcopal liturgy, and I'm sure that this is true in other liturgical traditions is that so often it feels like coming home. It's comfortable. It's known. It's beloved. It takes us to a deeper place, um, a pathway that we know how to get to a deeper place. And sometimes people criticize that, I think saying like, Oh, that's rote. That's stale. It's not, current or whatever. But the fact is that if we use, if we use that liturgy well to glorify God, you know, first and foremost, and to bring people into a closer relationship with Christ, we can actually find ways to be super current and even subversive and, um, you know, speak to this moment and this time using ancient ways of worship, which I guess for some of us is nostalgic. Yeah. Well, and even now, if you're really talking about groups of young adults who are even younger, younger than we are, friends, uh, that they are really interested in the mystery. Well, I wonder if there is, yeah, if there is something really just human about it. One of the headlines that I saw when I Googled really quickly in nostalgia and pop culture was um, an article I didn't read from NPR that was something like, stop trying to figure out the mysterious nature of nostalgia. Like, stop trying to figure it out. And, yeah, so it made me wonder, like, is it just, like, a a human thing, like, in our little lizard brains that we want to go back and always go back? Yeah. So when Liz said that Edwin's statement made her think of liturgy, it made me think of parables and how Jesus would sort of take the ideas of sort of, okay, well, this is something that you see every day, so let me figure out a way to take this something that you see every day and figure out how to explain something to you. And it strikes me that like what we all share, whether we like it or not, right. Is what's in our television, what's in our living rooms, what's on our television sets. What's what's the, you know, water cooler talk is entertainment talk for a lot of us. And so, you know, this is sort of an extension. This nostalgia thing is sort of an extension of the whole point of our podcast, this kind of using pop culture to make meaning out of your life. Mm-hmm. So Jesus was a rebooter. Yeah. In a way, right? Taking the familiar. And, and there was always those stories that he was telling. That what if he was taking stories that were already were oral tradition and that he was kind of twisting them himself, rebooting them himself? Like that would be really fascinating it is kind of like midrash though right like where you take a familiar story and you look at it from a different angle is that i mean is that the purpose of a reboot i mean that's what creed did this is the purpose of yeah. a sermon yeah i mean I, I i really think it is i think you take it to take it to a different angle and when you do it well it's it's absolutely bananas i mean really everything's a reboot anyway yeah is the is the idea of like nostalgia a cynical process like it because it relies on you having good memories, you know, Betsy, you were talking about like relating stuff to your kids. I always remember somebody telling me one time that worked at a Best Buy, they were like, the way that you sell stereos to people is that you kind of get, figure out their age 
and then you play music that would be that would have been popular when they were a senior in high school hmm. on the stereo system, and it makes them want to buy the stereo more if they. <laughs> If they but that. you know, not a, yeah, it might be cynical that that nostalgia relies on good memories, but it's also privileged, I would say, for that same reason. That um, you know, as we so like a nostalgia for the fifties, for example, happy days. Uh, the fifties was not a good time for most of us. Yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like don't want to go back there. And I think we could probably say that about the nineties as well. That it's a very privileged like socioeconomically you know higher white male straight cis whatever like those are good times good times for you guys but uh so you may not use other populations you know other groups of people may not want to be nostalgic for the same things and then you have this weird backlash where some of these reboots cast um women in men's roles like how shocking or people of color in white roles and then um people flip out and like are all racist on twitter like how you know how dare you turn my white memories into something different you know? <laughs> like that's so bizarre well and the ownership that you have of things like they, that that i think we've talked about it before like that's happening in comics like the new captain america is sam wilson who's who right. used to be the falcon the new thor is jane foster right um it's like there miles morales is the new spider-man it's you know all of these characters have moved on to like you know more diverse uh more culturally diverse like um demographics and yet like the movies have to be white people because otherwise there's like backlash there's There's this this fear from the studio that like if peter parker isn't spider-man then no one's going to go see civil war that's that's ridiculous like that's ridiculous but right it's this idea of ownership and like you know the truth is that star wars doesn't it's not owned by straight white boys and neither is ghostbusters you don't own that property but that seemed to be the reaction well and also oh greg and i had mentioned earlier that uh tanahasi coates is right has written the new black panther yeah yeah but you know the, in, in your nostalgia thing like our theme for our winter carnival dance last like January, February, whenever it was, um, you know, kind of a dance that we put in the middle of the week and things are getting slow here at boarding school. We got to do something was the sixties. And so it was, they announced it, it's like, it's going to be the sixties. And if none of these children, you know, their parents, <laughs> like maybe, I mean, that they were born in the sixties, they were children. It's not like these are like the children of hippies, you know, they may be the grandchildren of hippies, but but like little girl in my advisory at the table who's from Beijing looked around. She's like, what? Yeah, yeah the sixties were not great in Beijing. What? And then yeah. and then so at, on the night you had you had the kids in kind of the standard issue hippie fair, and uh, and then you had you know, a whole group of of African American students or black students dressed as with huge afros, Black Panther get up which was really interesting and then you had this one lovely boy from china who was dressed in a black winter overcoat and the black winter hat with the flaps on the side and was carrying around a little red mao book and oh I'm my god like, oh, snap. I'm like that is that is 1960s china though like i said your authenticity here is so good and it also reminds us 
especially when we have a community that has different memories. You know, I always have to remind our students that we are an international community, that we are not just, you can't just say, you know, the theme for the next game is America, you know, and it's like, you know, huge chunk of the population is like, great. Like, what do I do? Right. So I think it, it works out if we're just asking ourselves, so why are we nostalgic about this? You know, what is it about this that we're nostalgic for and that we're open to having different experiences about it? I think that what gets really hard is when someone is holding on to some idea that, you know, this time was better or this situation was better. And, and that may, renders them totally incapable of hearing, you know, what someone else's experience was like. And, and so, you know, it might be really neat for us to, you know, next time we're in situations where people are talking about the good old days, you know, whatever that means that, that we sort of say, yeah, well, you know, why does that feel really good to you? And, and, and I, at least if we personalize it and if we own sort of our own feelings about it, then we're not, then we're no longer talking in absolutes that this is better for everybody. And, and then we can just have our feelings and own them and other people can their own. Mm-hmm. Well, and not shaming other people. Oh, well, you shouldn't have loved that time because this was right. happening to this person. This was that, you know, that, that it's that it's the whole thing that we've really worked to coach each other in this kind of high, uh, high stakes political time where the things are really heated and we're making, you know, America great again, or what, you know, whatever that means. Right. Um, but that to get Pat, to get to the biography behind the ideology or behind that statement of this time was really great. Well, yeah. What, what was yours? What was life like for you then? You know, cause Lord only knows what's happened to that person since then. Yeah. So felt great. Uh, it could be something very personal as opposed to something wider and cultural. You know, I'm conscious of the fact that we do what some would call nostalgia pods with going on 30 and stuff. I think Betsy and I try to keep what she just said in this pod in the front of our mind, which is that we're not saying we long for good movies like they made back in the day. Some of the movies are good. A lot of them are not. And we try to give voice to that. The difference between what we do and nostalgia is that we're not justifying the art that came pre-internet as being better than it actually is. We're saying that those movies that were created then still have an impact on our culture now, post-internet. And it's the difference between sort of looking at things with clear glasses and rose-colored glasses. You know, when it comes to the parish context, it always feels like the nostalgia stuff has to do with sort of personal youth and vitality, and that gets transferred on to the institution. So, uh, you know, as the director of children and youth ministries, the thing that I always have to have to hear is, um, well, we used to have full Sunday school classrooms, right? Like there used to be kids just overflowing on the Sunday school hall. And why can't we get back to those days where we have just rampant number of kids around here? And I'm like, you know, I, I don't know that we ever really did. Like I look at old pictures of this place. It looks like we have just as many kids now as we did then. I think maybe you're just remembering it differently. Like you just, like you remember a time when you were young and happy and you think that everything was so much better. Yeah, I've I've watched institutions get kind of you you watch it when they invite back a 
like a rector two times ago, you know, you know, somebody who might've been, who's now still, still alive, even after, you know, you've had like a long person between you have a new person. Um, but maybe somebody who was young, like they were at the time. And, Mm -hmm. and there's something that just felt so alive about that when you're like growing up and being young adults together and having kids together and, and people who are in the same demographics with that person, there's a real latching on that can happen. And the kind of, you know, the person I watched, the, it's one parish and the procession's happening and people just kind of, there he is, you know, just kind of hands to the chest and oh my goodness. Oh my and gosh. oh, it's just like old times. And I was like, wow, I just like glimpsed like a DNA strand rotating in the middle of this parish <laughs> about this particular person. And and that we can do that too, that it isn't, it's who we were at the time. And I want that again and whatever that possibility was and, and however infinite seem, things seemed and, and this, the struggles I have inside myself now, I can kind of cast that off and do something else and remember a different time. Yeah, I think that I think that the the side of that, you know, the dark side of Fuller House is that when you watch it, you realize how lame Full House used to be. <laughs> you know, it's like it's like the appeal is really just the title. You know, and it's like I, I think the flip side of that sometimes is that you see the old clergy and you're like, oh yeah, we're we're actually we're doing better now, maybe than we were. Like you know, it's this idea of. Um, We've moved on. I'm just thinking about like my parents' uh, church. I, you know, it's it's funny when you grow up in a church as a kid, you identify that as like your home church. And um, and my parents, the the church where they grew up, they actually they outgrew their church, and so they ended up selling their church building. Oh, so wow. they have like this brand new sort of state of the art building, and um, and so you know, if I were to ever go visit them, I have no ties to that building. So I have no nostalgia when it comes to like church buildings from my youth or anything like that, because that building's gone. Um, And I think that that's actually kind of good because it allows you to have new visions of what church could be rather than holding on to that one image of when you were a kid and thinking, Oh, well that's church. It's like what I grew up with. We used to stay up all night sometime While our people getting high We would cry And just to get by Had to turn to the life of crime To survive uh. We used to stay up all night sometime While our people getting high We would cry And just to get by Had to turn to the life of crime I you more than ever Despite the pain Still it's hard to put it all together Your life was claimed Feels like a dream I'd have never thought you'd be the first to go Never felt your pain Cause you kept your life so personal And even though you gone We overwhelmed Jamel with love Like he was a newborn Never let him stay outside too late Or even too long Could never understand the pain We felt to have to move on And everybody what you want to talk about Because I do have something that I want to talk about Hey Edwin where are you? What are you doing? And how can people get in touch with you? Do you have like a church website or anything that you want to plug? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so I'm in Boston in the neighborhood of Dorchester and uh, we're, we're, we're killing it at St. Mary's. Uh, you could peep us at ST Mary's M-A-R-Y-S Dorchester, D-O-R-C-H-E-S-T-E-R.org. Um, and you can also follow me on Twitter at, uh, my handle's 
Padre Edwin uh, with two E's in the middle. Um, and yeah, you know, we're, we're getting down. I also have a, a YouTube and some other things. So yeah, you can find it all pretty much through my Twitter or through the St. Mary's website. And uh, yeah, just want to throw in a plug for all my peeps out there who, who are making things happen, who are remixing, because I love it. Nice. <laughs> Liz, Betsy, do you guys want to do your things? Or have we done I, that enough? I always want to do my things. Okay, Liz, uh, where are you? What are you doing? <laughs> How can people get in touch with you? <laughs> um, I am. I live in Omaha, Nebraska. I'm the canon to the ordinary of the Diocese of Nebraska. And you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Liz East. It's probably the best way to see what I'm up to. Yesterday was Social Media Sunday in real oh, life, yeah. not when you heard this in real life. So I really tried this year. I tried to do some like photojournalism more of uh, my, I happened to be driving all the way across the state of Nebraska that day. So anyway, it's stuff like that. Nice. Uh, Betsy, what are you up to? Um, are you surviving? I, I am. Greg, we gotta we gotta get deeper into the school year, man. It's crazy. Uh, no, I'm I am the serving as the head chaplain at the Episcopal High School in Alexandria, Virginia, and I go I go a little dark on the social media uh, when when the school year hits. I haven't quite figured out how to how to do that balance in life while like keeping my family fed and the <laughs> keeping my sanity. So you know, I pop up for events. I'm an event Twitterer. At Betsy, no. we missed you on the Emmys, though. Yeah, we just missed you. What happened? You had some other thing. I was I was watching tape delayed with my downstairs neighbor. My name's Greg. I'm in the. Um, where am I? I'm You're at Bethesda, Bethesda by the I'm sea. Bethesda by the sea. Yeah, Episcopal Church in Palm Beach, Florida, where I'm the director of children and youth ministries. You can find us on the web at bbts.org, and you can find me on Twitter at that Greg Knight. Where I got to tell you guys, like, so. Um, I tweeted about this because I love it so much. There was um, there was this baseball player who played for the Florida Marlins, the Miami Marlins uh, down here, Jose Fernandez, and he died oh, in a yeah. accident. That was awful. And it was awful. It's horrible. They uh, recently just played their uh, first game, uh, having lost their teammate. And the very first batter got up, and they did kind of like a ceremonial first pitch. And then two pitches later, the leadoff batter hit his very first home run of the season and uh, was bawling as he was running around the bases and then like gets back to home plate and he's like embraced by all of his teammates and everyone in the stands is like standing up and applauding. It it just makes me think that like, you know, sports is sports is what it is. Like, you know, there's some people that love it. There's some people that hate it, but the thing that makes it, amazing entertainment is that it's unscripted. Like that's the whole point of it Mm -hmm. is that it's unscripted. And the fact that you have moments like this in an unscripted setting, it just makes it that much more powerful. I think I I just, I, I loved it. I, 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 I've watched that clip like 20 times now uh, tonight and it just, it makes me tear up every time. I just, Mm -hmm. I I think it's incredible. Wow. Dan, Jocelyn Simitowski, and I did a whole episode on this. You can find it in the archives as one of our Sacred Six baseball episodes. Here's a clip of us talking about this moment to what you're up to. This month, we're chatting about the Sacrament of Anointing by going in the Wayback Machine to September 26th, 2016, when D. Gordon hit a leadoff home run 
in memory of his friend and Marlins pitching ace, Jose Fernandez. Before we get started, Dan, tell me you don't cry every time you watch this clip on YouTube. Yeah, I mean, they say there's no crying in baseball, but I mean, you just can't not at this. Just the the sheer emotion of the moment, the emotion of youth, right? D, yeah. D himself is a young guy. I think he's really tightly bonded with Jose Fernandez. I think probably he's looking at his own mortality and all this. His mother had actually been killed by her boyfriend. He, he's the son of Tom Gordon, the, the Red Sox closer. So he has his own tragedy in his life that there's only a decade or so behind him. Um, so there's a lot going on here. Yeah. Yeah. And even if it were just the, the right-handed batting stance, you know, to start the game against Cologne, like that tribute sort of attention to detail of his friend who's a pitcher, right. Who's not even batting that often, right. but he's able to sort of mimic the batting stance of his friend for the first pitch. Yeah, and then not, to go from there, batting stance, right? Jose Fernandez has this like little knee waggle that right. yeah. puts in there. So it's not not an easy stance to mimic. No, not at all. It's not like uh, what was the what did uh, when Jeter did um, Omar? Yeah, Garcia Parra's stance in the All Star game. Right, right. That we, one's actually a pretty easy. Um, one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, so. You know, even if it's just that tribute to start, like you're already kind of tearing up with the tribute part. And then to then get the home run is just, I mean, that's like, I lose it every time. Absolutely. Yeah. Started to look like the D Gordon of last year. Gordon right. It's D. Anyway, uh, so you can find uh, Popping Collars on Twitter at Popping Collars. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Popping Collars, where you can like us. Uh, you can find our website at poppingcollarspodcast.com, where all of our shows are archived. Our newest shows are available on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, soon to be Spotify. We do have a Spotify playlist, I will say. So all of the songs that we play in our uh, musical interlude, all of the ones that I can find anyway, uh, are available on a Spotify playlist if you want to listen to any more of them. And we are featured on EpiscopalCafe.com each and every time. We love EpiscopalCafe.com. We know you will as well. Check them out for all your Episcopal news needs and beyond. And check out all of the other podcasts that are featured on Episcopal Cafe too. Priest Pulse, uh, to Fab, to Feminist Annotate the Bible, and From All Points. They're really great shows, and we hope that you will listen to them as well. And with that, that is Bobby Collars for this time. Thank you, Betsy. Thank you, Edwin. Thank you, Liz, for coming on the show. We will see you next time. Keep those colors popped. <laughs>I actually, I really like this episode. My friends are really smart. Like I said in the intro, it feels like there's no stopping this nostalgia train that we're on. I think if anything, it's probably getting worse. Like how House of the Dragon is basically Game of Thrones nostalgia. Or, mm, this is going to 
suck, how the 2024 election is shaping up to look exactly like the 2016 election. My, my prayer is that there are some creators out there that can break through some of these cycles. People like Sterling Harjo with Reservoir Dogs or Kelly Reichardt with First Cow and Showing Up or Michaela Cole with I Will Destroy You. It, you know, it's it's really on us to just find these things and support original stories in the midst of all the branded noise that's out there. Thanks for taking this trip down memory lane. Speaking of nostalgia, I'm going to go get a giant bowl of sugary cereal and fire up my NES classic like in the old days to the absolute embarrassment of my wife and kids. Keep those collars popped and we'll see you next time. If only could, I'd